Yeah, I heard a great maintenance engineer talk about this once. He was like, if you don't maintain things, they choose when you will. I love that. That's <laughs> so good. Yeah, if you don't do your upkeep, it decides when you're fixing it. Welcome to the Open Hardware Manufacturing Podcast, the podcast where we talk about making open source hardware. My name is Stephen Hawes. And I'm Lucian Chafar. And today we are answering a listener question from the Loom PMP Discord server. In the own podcast channel, people ask us for different topics. And this one is about time management from Ben. Ben says he'd like to hear about managing your time as someone who is so responsible solely or with a small team for the entire spectrum of requirements. So definition, design, production, test, sales, marketing, support. And also how you know that you're getting in over your head and when to decide that it's too much, either in designing complexity or piling too much on your plate through ambition or tragedy, what to do when you're struggling. So in this one, this is such a hard thing to do right. It's such a tricky thing. And you and I also have very different ways of going about doing it, which we talk about in this episode a lot. Oh, yeah. Like I'm very rigid structure writing things down and you're more a bit more flexible, a bit more flexible with how that stuff works. And like, how do you choose what's important? You have to be the person that decides what's the most important thing to work on. You know, what's the most mission critical? What's going to be the most helpful every day that you can work on doing it? And this type of advice is going to vary per company, per person, per team. Totally. And we also talk about like burnout and working a lot because it feels like it's fun because it is fun, but <laughs> you can still really overdo it and how Lucian is T-1000 robot and can just go, 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 go. And I'm so not that <laughs> way. <laughs> and how that operates. How, how do you manage making sure that you're not overdoing it? putting time aside for tech debt how do you prioritize doing that and also Lucian you went a bunch into uh, like a production team and like how production team managing their time too yeah. I'm gonna try to paint the picture of what, what the headspace is like when you manage a crew of people building stuff right it's a lot <laughs> I think that will be a whole episode later we also talk a little bit about how like whatever stage you are in the company like whether you're pre-launch right after a launch or like with stable products out your balance is going to be different and what it worked for us and like maybe it's going to be a little different for you based on your product but it's a really hard thing to do managing time it's probably like the most difficult part of this whole thing is figuring out what's most important to work on but it's something you have to do like eight times a day i'd say it's as hard as managing money yeah maybe harder yeah i think it's probably harder than managing money yeah it's it's a wicked fun episode i really liked talking to you about this hey, one good chat. yeah it was a good one and also if y'all have any thoughts about this episode i think we say this in the, the actual record too let us know in the own podcast channel on the Loom PMP Discord server. We want to hear about how y'all handle this kind of thing. This is just what we've developed that has worked pretty well for us so far, but we'd love to hear how you structure things too. Definitely, definitely. Yep. All right, let's get into it. Cool. Let's do it. So the first thing about like managing your time, I think that we should say is, Lucian and I have this line that we say all the time. It's a bit of an ongoing joke. Yeah. But we really do mean it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. Everything's important. Yes. Like, we'll be like, hmm, should we do X or Y? And then we'll, inevitably one of us will be like, everything's important. Like, it, it, everything has to happen eventually. Like, when your team is still small, there aren't really tasks that are not important that you're even considering. At best, there might be something that's just optional. Or yeah. Or, like, you could punt for a long time. But right. But you're talking about things because they're important. Right. <laughs> yeah. And th there are some things that are not important. But, like, when we say that, it's in reference to oh my god, we have eight things that are all important that we have to do, all of them. Yeah. And like, you know, picking between those is really tricky. And a lot of it correlates back to the responsibilities of managing expectations with a customer base with hundreds or thousands of machines out there. Mm -hmm. Anyone with product out there, you have all these tasks that stem out of that that are important to think about. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it when we're a team of 
six full-time nine with contractors <laughs> like we're not a huge team <laughs> no so yeah it's it's really managing your time and deciding what to work on is like probably the most challenging and most difficult part of keeping opulent running yeah and i i consider time as precious a resource that's like literal like fiat currency yeah it kind of is it kind of is like and you know we also have this dichotomy of time versus money tool versus project do we want to burn two grand on a tool that will solve a time problem for us and like it might be a really good upfront investment i always think about this in terms of i don't know why this is what has stuck with me but like buying a prius might be more expensive than buying like a junky corolla but what you spend in a new Prius up front, you save in gas over the long term. But you need that capital up front to make that investment that ultimately saves you the money in the long term. Yeah, it's tricky. Like we could build out $2 million worth of robot arm automation, but where is that coming from? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. So that's a tough one. So really the, the conversation then kind of goes to everything's important, but like what's the most important? And picking what things are the most important. I think a lot about the Eisenhower matrix. And I think I think we both do to some degree. Yeah, it's a good way of like putting walls around this like amorphous topic. So for for context, the Eisenhower matrix is like a two by two matrix and on one axis is important and another axis is urgent. So that gives you four groups. Uh, one of the groups is important and urgent. So if a task is important and urgent, oh my God, drop everything and do that thing right away. And yeah, I'm why like, aren't you doing it? Exactly. You should be doing it right now. That's the thing you should be doing. <laughs> and then the other side of that is things that are not important and not urgent. Which, don't do them. <laughs> yeah, why are you doing that? <laughs> exactly. And then the other two are the weird ones. So there's important and not urgent, which are the things that tend to languish. They're the things that like should happen, like re refactoring a code base that doesn't scale well. That's really important. Is it still going to run tomorrow? Yeah. Or responding to the account sometime in the next two months. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like, we really should do it, but it's not urgent. So those are tricky ones. And then there's urgent and not important, which those are really hard. Sometimes you should ignore those because they're not important, but it feels urgent to fix them, you know? So it's really hard to choose to do the ones that are important and not urgent. Like, I think you have to intentionally set time aside to do those things because the urgent ones are always going to be in your face and you're going to want to do them, you know? Yeah. And some people literally in their calendar have like an hour a day for that not important, not urgent task booked out. Yeah, yeah, just to kind of clean them out. I have like a baby version of that rule, which is called like the five minute rule. Yeah. If I'm thinking of a task and it take five minutes to do, just do it. Just do it. I love that. But if I'm in like deep work and I, I'm all about the idea of deep work, there's a book by Cal Newport called Deep Work. I love this book. I read it once a year, like without exception around Christmas time. It's about time. For, actually, I read it earlier this year. I read it just a, a couple weeks ago. I love I love this book. But if you're in a deep workplace where you're thinking critically and you're like in flow state and like super zen in in the zone and you think, oh, I have this task to do. I am not getting up and I'm going to go do this five minute task. No way. So instead, I take all my little five minute tasks and I block them off to like an hour and I just burn through all the five minute tasks. And it feels great, right? It, it does you just do a million things. So it's like a modified version of your five minute rule. But like, you know, if Mitchell and I are having a meeting of like th there was one time where Mitchell and I. Mitchell's not on the mic, but he's listening to us. So we talk about this. But uh, <laughs> there, there was one time where Mitchell and I were in a call for like it was a customer support thing. And someone was like, oh, this docs thing is wrong. And I'm like, oh, OK, I'll go make a ticket and all this. And I was like, wait a minute. I had VS Code up. I just went to the page, made the change, pushed it, deployed it. Done. And it was done in like 45 seconds. I forget exactly what it was, but if it can happen in under, just do it. Just do yeah. it right then. So that's so a good it's just easier. Yeah. 
Uh, there was a joke. Um, I used to work at a company with they did Scrum for everything. It's like an agile project management tool. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes there'd be more work to put a task in the backlog and then put it a size to it and like estimate when you do it and assign the owner of it. Just you just just go do it. Just go do it. Just make it happen right then. So yeah. you know, there's always exceptions to that rule, but I think that's a good mentality to think about things in. Yeah, and it's like a good foil to the the Eisenhower matrix. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, or another answer to it, at least. Exactly. Just another way to think about it. When there's so many things that are important to do, I have a very strict set of rules around my to-do list. So I have a highly customized to-do list format for how Stephen Hawes works. <laughs> I, have, I use Notion for it because uh, you can customize that ever-loving hell out of it. And I love that. We're, Lucian hates it. We're completely it. opposite. Yeah, we're so actually. opposite about this. But I have a, a very custom, it's my mission control page. And it has all of my ongoing tasks. And at the beginning of every week, I look at every task that I did in the previous week. I clear them out. And if there's some other little nugget that needed to be, that wasn't truly finished, I add it to this week's tasks. Then I look at all the tasks I'm planning on completing that week. And I organize them in terms of what is the most mission critical? What is the most, what thing can I do to be the most effective to improve things for the mission of helping people manufacture their products? And I order them in that. And then I break it down into days. So I have this whole structure about everything goes on my to-do list. I'm looking every day at all these tasks and I choose to defer or choose to do them depending on what's important. And this is the beating heart of how I operate. Like I have to do it every morning I come in. I do this. Sometimes I do it before I come in and I like know what I'm working on before I come in. And you even have a column too that's like personal, Stephen, like go grocery shopping. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's a whole other subsection. intertwined into the... Well, my life is intertwined with this company. Yeah, of course. Yeah, likewise. <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to separate them. But yeah, I mean, I, it is my, how does Steven operate? How does Steven do his tasks for Opulo? Do his like, oh, I need to, you know, renew the registration for my car. And like, yeah. you know, it just makes sure that I am on top of everything that I need to do. How did you realize you needed that? Did you start with something like this? Was there a, an Evernote? Oh, yeah. Oh, 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 yeah. I've had something like this since early mid high school. Okay. Or no, middle school. I started this in middle school. And it's just been evolving ever since I've been changing the systems and, you know, what format it's in. And, you know, sometimes I'll add a column in my to-do list. It's kind of Kanban style. If I'm like, oh, I'm noticing I have a lot of docs tasks to do. I'm going to set a day aside for docs this week, do all the docs tasks. And then I delete that column. And so it's always changing. I'm doing different things with it. Yeah. So this is intensely, intensely organized and very methodical. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I don't lose track of something. Like if someone, if a task goes on my to-do list, I never forget it. If I write it down, I just might not choose to do it right then because there's other things that are like, this is important and urgent. <laughs> you know, it's like, how, how did I choose to allocate them this week of what, what is the most impressing thing? Yeah, that makes sense. And that works great for me. But that's not how you operate. You operate differently. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite different. Uh, I think the nature of my work involves a lot more people and relationship stuff. So like, I need to have ongoing conversations with vendors about a multitude of different things, just nightly or daily. It's always about just keeping a fire going for me. It's usually the same types of fires. So Yeah, it it would be really weird if on your to-do list you said, respond to this person, and then you do it, and they write back like three minutes later, and you add another to-do list task, respond again. Like, it would just be silly. Yeah, like, I have such a, uh, like, a a broad focus on, like, the feeders. Okay, I'm talking to all the feeder vendors. I I just go do that. For me, it looks like a a Kanban with to-do, doing, done, and each task in the Kanban can have a priority the product it's related to as a tag and like a due date if there needs to be one shown. And that's yep. pretty much the most of it for me. Yep. I love using the features of like tools in their native environment like 
if I have an email I need to respond to by a date, I'll use Gmail's like task tool and it'll make a task in my Google calendar. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of insane. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) You'll spread it out. Yeah. I I cannot do that. I need to have one. I have two repositories, uh, notion, my mission, mission control page and my email inbox. Those are the only two organic places. If I have an email, sometimes even if I have an email to respond to, I'll put it in my to-do list too. Yeah. So yeah, we're very different in that way, but it works great for the jobs that we have. For sure. Like, I have to keep track of all the business company stuff and you do too. But your thing, like you say, it's about managing production. It's people. It's like putting out fires. Hey, this jig broke. We need to make a new one. Like it's more reactionary. Yeah, I'd say so. And like I try to make make it a balance between like you don't want to be too reactionary. You want to be proactive about stuff. But if I had as rigid of a schedule as you, I would definitely it would get nuked a good 50 percent of the time. Yeah. Yeah. A (laughs) hundred percent. And like mine also still does get nuked sometimes. And okay, then I have to redo my notion. I'll sit down and I'll spend three minutes and okay, this isn't important anymore in comparison to this new thing. I got to put this on first and you know, and then it goes on. from there. Yeah. And it's also worth saying like we each have our own, like, I don't look at Steven's task list. He doesn't really look at mine. They're kind of like for us personally, but we meet in the middle with like a company, new product introduction timeline, right? We have tasks on it and we could talk about that at length. That would be an interesting thing, like project management, kind of like, and it's really just you and me figuring this out and like also working with the community to work on updates and changes and stuff and the, the dev team. But yeah, yeah, that would be that would be an interesting one. It's nothing crazy. It's the culmination of all of our tests just kind of feed into a Gantt chart. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, You and I are also constantly in communication. So like, especially at this size, we're always, you know we know exactly what the other person is working on and in the middle of. So it kind of just meshes. But when the team gets bigger, you kind of need a little bit more structure there. But right now we just, you know, we're constantly, yeah. you know, in each other's business. Our shoes are comfy. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. We're supposed to have a weekly meeting where we touch base. And I won't say more often than not, but a non-zero amount of the time, it's just like, hey, could we answer for one another's updates? <laughs> exactly. And if the answer is yeah. <laughs> we don't, we don't do it. Or, or. Skip. We will we'll do it to like catch up on a bunch of things that are important and not urgent mm-hmm. and like not things that we've been doing regularly, but like, hey, we should we should kick that back up like that's important for us to work on. So it can be helpful to schedule that time too to figure out like what is important? What should we be spending our time working on? Yeah. So it's good to I like that we have it on the calendar of like a time to be like, hey, here's the time where we should be thinking about these other things. But most of the time we just we know what's important. Yeah. And sometimes like a conversation like, hey, we need to ignore the fires going on and like talk about the heater in the office. Like, (laughs) yeah, sometimes we just have to be like this production jig is broken, but, you know, we have to do cleanup and take out the trash. (laughs) I got to scrub the toilets like yeah. sometimes just those things come up, too. So it is it is a messy thing. Yeah. The more managerial we get, the more there's everything at once. Yeah. (laughs) I think the, the takeaway from this note is like find out what works for you. And what your responsibilities are like my responsibilities require having to keep track of a lot of things, a lot of individual things. And some of them are really big and some of them are really small. So I need a system to handle all these things. (laughs) And that also really works well for my brain and how I've trained myself to handle tasks since I was 13. You know? Yeah. And you've also seen how do you handle tasks well since you've been 13. And that's how you operate. So finding the way that you can keep track of things and make sure that things don't fall through the cracks for how you work is probably my biggest note here. Yeah. Build what works for you. Yeah. Build to fit. Yeah. (laughs) And it's worth spending like... I remember when I kind of discovered Notion. This is back when we were still working out of my house. Yeah. And I was like, I can make this whatever I want it to be. And I think I was using Evernote or something. And I nuked my whole Evernote build. And Evernote's great. It's just it wasn't what I wanted. And I spent like two days restructuring from the beginning 
how I was going to set up my thing. And that worked great for me. And you were like, bro, what are you doing? <laughs> Why are you spending? But I found that, the, you know, taking the time to set that up has been so helpful. Yeah. I love a pre-formatted thing, a pre-existing structure, yeah. pre-made templates, a standardized way of track. Like It's like a warm <laughs> hug to me. I, the free-form nature of that, that software can be overwhelming. I, use, to I used to have it set up so Google Assistant, I could say HG, short for the, the magic words, just get Google to listen to you because I don't want my phone to go off, but I'd say, HG, I need to. And then whatever phrase would happen after that, it would auto append it to my inbox to-do list. So if I'm like taking a shower and I'm like, oh, I need to do X, Y, Z, I could just shout into the void and it would go on my to-do list. It was great. They had, Google ended up killing that API. He was pissed. Yeah, I was really not happy. But, you know, <laughs> setting up, if it, is it custom? Is it off the shelf? It's, it's something good to think about. So there, there's also another important thing, because when you have a lot of things to do, it's it's hard to choose to take a break and not work anymore because if it's fun and like this whole thing spun out of me having a fun time building a project in my apartment and it didn't feel like work because it's like, oh, this is just I'm just working on a fun thing and making YouTube videos and all that kind of stuff. But then when it starts to completely encapsulate your life, you don't notice it. And then it's like you have to you have to not spend all of your time doing it. And it's an insidious thing. It's like it sneaks up on you kind of, you know? Yeah, I'm thinking a little bit about like what Ryan said in the last episode. Like if it's not fun, maybe take a break. Maybe take a break. There's something that I think we learned early on that Lucian is a machine and I am not. <laughs> Lucian has no limit. You just do crazy hours sometimes. Like I just don't understand how you operate and like are a human in some capacities. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not I'm not the most normal. I, I always tell people, like, don't let me set the bar because I'll just go. Yeah, I I'll let my passion just kind of keep me afloat. I'll come up for air at like 3 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's wild. I'm definitely not that way. I, I've found my limit of like I can do a, a couple months of like one day off every two weeks and I can sustain that for a while. But my steady state is like three days off every two weeks so I can have one full weekend and then a half weekend. I can do that indefinitely. I can skip a full weekend every once in a while. I'm finding that feather point. Yeah. It's hard to it's hard to find where it is. My feather point is like kind of like, like yellow light and red light here. The yellow light comes on if I'm returning to the office within 12 hours of leaving. Yeah, your 12 hour rule. Yeah. And like <laughs> I think it, I get pretty frazzled if it's uh, I'm coming back within 10. Yeah. I, knowing that you have I have time to go home, make a meal, get a full eight hours of sleep at the very least. Yeah. You know, like. You need to have some of that. That's kind of how I check myself. If I'm if I'm pushing those like guidelines, it's time to chill. Yeah, you take a three day weekend. Right. <laughs> yeah. I noticed after after we got back from Murph, God, it was like a year and a half ago, and it was right. It was where we announced V three, where it came almost fully assembled, and we got back from that trip, and I was just distraught. I had been working too much, and I didn't have enough breaks, and I was too stressed, and I just like I got to this point where I felt like I was just having this like panic reaction in my chest and I, I was like I just have to not be here right now and I, I think I took like two days or I took like a Wednesday off in the yeah. middle of the week because I was just non-functional yeah yeah and then I took that next weekend and I didn't do crap <laughs> for for work um so it's important to say here it's a marathon and not a sprint yeah like maybe it's a sprint sometimes but mm -hmm. like don't let it always feel like one right yeah. And ideally, you can find your limit before you are a dummy like me and don't listen to, oh, wow, I feel kind of burnt out. Maybe I should stop and not get to the actual breaking point. And I was just useless for like a week. Find when you start to feel that way. Taking time is so good. 
you have to do it. Yeah. And you won't notice it if it's something that you love. It's like, oh, well, this is still just fun stuff. Why would I not do it? That's what I did on the weekends and after work. Why wouldn't I just do it all the time now? Yeah, it doesn't work that way. You have to still be aware of it. And sometimes I can find myself needing to work like that frantically and like that hard to and burn yourself out. But you got to stop and think, is what I'm doing actually important? Is what I'm doing actually urgent? Right. Can this wait? Can someone else do it? Yeah. Can I share this load? Am I here till 4 a.m. because I didn't communicate well that I need help? Yes, exactly. <laughs> because I have to be or because I'm just in the zone and I'm actually burning myself for the next two days because I was up till 4 a.m. Yeah. You know, like I, I like your point of it's a marathon and not a sprint. You know, I guess I try not to let the current day affect the next. Yeah, that's a great. Yeah, that's one I have for it. Yeah, I like that a lot. Every day is should be a total blank slate, not representative of the day prior. Yeah, right. Like if I if I work till 4 a.m., I'm getting at noon the rest of the week. I've (laughs) screwed my sleep schedule. Like I could do a late night once and then come in on six hours of sleep. But like you can't do that two days in a row or you're just unhappy. I might be grumpy to people and say things I don't mean. So it is a marathon. It is a total, it is an absolute marathon. So yeah. finding that point early is really important. Um, and it will make you more effective. Like, even though I might be able to squeak out a really, really crazy couple weeks of work, I'm trash for the next month. It's like, <laughs> eh, no, what's the total net long-term most optimal, not only for happiness, but also effectiveness? A well-rested person is going to do way better work than someone who isn't, you know? Yeah. So there, there's a, this is going to sound off topic at first, but there's a Mythbusters episode where they tested the difference between drunk driving and tired driving. Oh, this was terrifying. And like, goes without saying, drunk driving is a horrible, miserable thing. Don't recommend. Yes. And tired driving, I think it was worse. Yeah. In terms of them passing the test. So, you know, if would you come to work drunk? <laughs> okay, well, coming to work on an all-nighter is arguably, you're going to be less effective than even that. Yep. Which is crazy, crazy, crazy. So. It can be, it feels like it's like, oh, whatever, I'm just pulling an all-nighter and like, oh, look at me, I'm super dedicated and like, that's eh, not, it doesn't work that way. It's, it's not something to brag about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like being well-rested and being effective is, and being happy about coming to work is the best thing you can do. But it's really hard to balance that when there's a million things on your plate and you're like, oh my God, why am I, why am I going to catch a movie on a Friday night right now when I have so many things I need to do? It feel, I feel, felt guilty for the longest time taking any time off. Yeah. You know? The, it's a lot of pressure. Yeah. I had a boss at Formlabs named Sean who loved that man. Such a good he dude. He had a take on it. He was like, it's not work-life balance, it's work-life synergy. <laughs> and like, some people might think that's kind of toxic, but like, I think all of it needs to be done with respect to a balance for the two things. Well, yeah. What is, what's his, how does he delineate between work-life balance and work-life synergy? Like, what's the difference there in his mind? I think that like work-life balance is like, no, don't let your job overtake your life. Don't let your job go past 5 p.m. And I don't think that's what we've signed up for here. Yes. Yeah. And to his point, being a part of so many startups, the synergy is, no, these two things need to go in tandem. Mm. You might need to have a vendor call at 8 p.m., but make sure you're home at 5 with your family until then. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Doing things in balance, because it's not going to be a 9 to 5 straightforward thing all the time. Right. It's not putting all work stuff in one box and all life stuff in another. It's, they're going to mix. Make sure they mix well. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, I really like that. Yeah, man, Sean, full of the knowledge <laughs> drops. He's such a good dude. Love that man. I love him. Yeah, I take a bullet at that guy. Yeah, he's just he's so great. But you can see what I mean. Like work life synergy sounds like it sounds bad until you're like, wait, hold, hold on, let me explain. Exactly, and it depends on what your relationship is with work. If you're doing something like this, you have no choice but to. I mean, I literally bought my house to start up. <laughs> like I, I made a a house purchase to begin this company. That is why I own that house. Yeah. It's impossible to 
untracked my life from work. So like if you're doing something like this, you have to have them integrate with each other. You can't have them separate. You just need to do it in a way that's sustainable and good. At first, it felt irresponsible of us to pretend that weekends were okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think when you're tr really trying to start, maybe you, you have some rough months. Like you, you might have to do that depending on, you know, the funding situation, the whole setup. Like maybe you have to just grind for a little bit and it, it might not be. I mean, I... It's not for everyone. But it's not for everybody. We call it getting grubby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Getting like, grubby. Sometimes it is unavoidable. Sometimes you gotta you gotta do it, and like doing something like this necessitates being okay with doing that occasionally. But for a sustainable thing, you shouldn't have to do it all the time. Yeah. I think it's important to make sure that you are setting yourself up for a thing that is not going to be that constantly, because that's just not sustainable. You have to make sure that it's something that you're going to enjoy doing and be able to do indefinitely. For sure. Yeah. It's funny, like Sam Biller, uh, my nurse friend, he, uh, he gives medical advice to patients all the time. And he's like, wait, I don't follow that. <laughs> 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 I don't need an apple twice today. I go to the doctor six, every six months. Do you think we don't follow this, what we're saying? I, I think it's a balance. I think I have been pretty fair because I'll still take, I'll take weekend days. Like, okay, well, <laughs> I'll take like one weekend day and maybe I don't come into the office on a weekend day. But I work from home or I like come into the office and I don't do a cerebral thing, but I like clean up or like, <laughs> you know, build a jig or something mindless. Yeah. So I, I think I'm probably about there. We're skirting the absolute edge of our advice here. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I think that's fair to say. Um, and it's hard when you love it. It when like I love this thing. Yeah, that we're, doing. we're obsessed. Like, it's so fun. It's hard to not, you know, it's, it's hard to strike that balance. But, you know, when you feel yourself kind of getting to that, oh, man, if you wake up and you're like, man, I don't really feel like going to work okay you've gone too far <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah if it's if it's what you really like doing and it's your thing you gotta pump the brakes yeah and, and for us too especially if we're so obsessed with this if it becomes like not fun for an evening like oh this i did i overdid it mm -hmm. it's like whoa <laughs> yeah like that says a lot <laughs> if if this thing that i love so much is now distasteful in some capacity well crap <laughs> i really better change something yeah Go take a vacation. Yeah, that that's where you just drop off the face of the earth for a couple of days, reset, figure <laughs> it out, and like, and that's a good thing to do. Yeah, oh yeah. The next thing we wanted to talk about here was like the transition from being like an individual contributor, like an engineer on a team that reports to someone, to being a manager, someone that has people reporting to them each hour, each day, each week, coming to them asking for guidance, people awaiting being told what to do, people who aren't going to guess at what to do. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And. Sometimes it's like about managing raw labor. Sometimes it's about managing knowledge workers like engineers. And that's a whole other paradigm here. Mm -hmm. I myself cannot do 40 hours a week of individual contributing. Yeah. But the upside of that is I have control of 120 human labor hours a week that happen as I puppeteer. Yes. And that's not lost on me how insane that is. It's yeah. So, it's so cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to deploy the troops on something and like have... 3x the manpower I could individually do on it is yeah. just, it's a symphony Yeah, when it, done right. It's really cool. And, but but it's not like that just happens for free and you have your 40 hours too. Oh, God. Like, like it takes a lot to figure out how to structure it and how to allocate that time. And I think a lot of what you spend time on is finding ways to make that more automatic. Like the amount of time you spend on documentation for abstracting it out so you don't need to spend the time to teach and show processes that are standardized here. Like it's written down. People can refer to it. That's a huge thing to be able to get some of that 40 hours back or, you know, your week, your own time back. And it doesn't feel obvious at first. It feels like antithetical to like doing new stuff. It's worth taking that time and documenting how you do things so that others can do it for you. Yep. Case in point, I, we had a new guy start this week and 
he jumps straight into building feeders and he's not grabbing me for every single step. He's grabbing us when the documentation fails him. Yeah. And, and then that's a thing that we fix. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, or better yet, we I have this habit of trying to take off the responsibilities that are recurring and simple mm-hmm. and hand them off. Yep. We have to order electrical components from LCSC regularly. The person that uses those components in our SMT line should be able to do that. So it was actually worth taking about 12 hours to document our purchasing process yep. from LCSC. It's on our OHI site under operations, by the way, if anyone wants to go see it. Mm-hmm. And now our SMT operator can just go order chips. When we need them, when we're running low, when Alini says, hey, we're running short of this thing. Yeah. They just own it. It's awesome. Yeah. He's going, Lucian, can you sign off on this PO before I click buy? And <laughs> That's I'm like, so good. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I think one of the things that was hardest for me with this change is I measure how effective I am per hour of work. And when I'm an IC, I, that's the highest number. And then when I'm managing people, I am personally way less effective because I'm spending a lot of time helping people get stuff done. But the whole team is way more effective than (laughs) I could ever be alone. So it feels antithetical. It's like, wow, I didn't spend that much time today moving the needle. It's like, well, you did because you helped unblock a bunch of other people for things. You helped set them up and like clarify things so that they can go on and do more than you could alone. That took me a long time to kind of get through my head and be okay with and still feel like I was being productive and effective by doing that. And now I definitely do. But it took me like a few months to kind of really start to feel that way. Yeah. And a part of the experience, too, is just getting more and more used to managing more and more humans. Yeah. It's one thing to have. We each have about three people that report to us. Mm -hmm. But it's a whole other to have 10,000. Oh, man. And like when it was you and me and then my girlfriend, Jaden, like the three of us here in the office and like Jaden, bless her heart, was like cleaning extrusion and (laughs) packing kits. And like it was just the three of us. We were all constantly with each other. There was no need to like spend time updating anybody because we were all just in it. And now, I mean, we're only, you know, we're less than a dozen people. We had to put new systems in place to figure out how to handle communication for things. And like, it's possible that people are out of date. Like you and Bryce will have a conversation and I'm not aware of it. (laughs) And how does that information transfer? So one more person is a huge more number of interactions to facilitate. Oh, yeah. So you kind of have to always be thinking about that, too. I think it's a little bit logarithmic in some ways. Like Mm -hmm. past like I'm thinking about production technicians really here. It's as much work to have five as it is to have six, but going from zero to one, so much more. <laughs> Huge. Yeah. Very, very different. It, it kind of trails off. And I think there's like modulations to that. Like, yeah. okay, after this many people, you need a manager that reports to me. Exactly. But what's that number? At what point does it make sense to have an intermediary and that person isn't necessarily doing production, but is managing a team of 12 or, you know, like where does that happen? It, it's tough. I wanted to take an aside here and shout out a really favorite podcast of mine, uh, Wisdom from the Top with Guy Ross. It's an NPR podcast. Yeah. You'll hear a perspective on leadership from people that manage way more people than Steve and I probably <laughs> ever will. <laughs> he, he's also the guy that does How I Built This, right? Yeah. Yeah. And a couple other like business focused oh, things. Cool. So go look up Guy Ross and see what he has to say. Okay. I haven't listened to that one. Yeah, it's really good. Cool. There's one guy, I think the Best Buy CEO a fascinating one yeah it was a turnaround ceo hired on to like unscrew things i heard that one before yeah really good but yeah that's a that's definitely a tricky one of like when you have more people coming on how do you manage your time of like how much am i spending my time working on helping support the team and documenting things so they can be autonomous and how much am i spending on ic work that's another huge balance of time 
For sure. Figuring out how that's going to play out is huge. A thing that comes up a lot with that is like all of these people are hired on to like do things on our behalf in a certain way or on Opulus behalf is a better way to say it. But yeah, if they're stuck and we can help them, how quickly should they get us? How quickly should they get a partner? Right. That balance for us has been a continual like lesson. Yeah. So when there's people that report to you, they need to be able to be productive. And if they're not, is that your detriment? Yeah. And it's it's your responsibility to make sure that they can be. If you're not teeing them up to be successful and make it so that they obviously know exactly what to do in order to fulfill your expectations, that's on you. Yeah. You have to make sure that you are giving them what they need to be effective like that. So I think that one, if we notice that that's not happening, that one very quickly climbs to the top of the important, urgent. Oh, yeah. You know, like, oh, you don't have what you need to be successful in this production thing. Oh, well, OK, but we have to fix this. You know, <laughs> like that. That happens very quickly. It's led to some very ushered out Ohio docs or production chicks <laughs> exactly. or like yeah. a Gundam code from you. Right. Like, yeah. If the production team can't do what they need, it's probably the most pressing thing. Yeah, it re- it's it's definitely up there. Yeah. So I. And that actually leads beautifully into the next point, which is like, if there are things that are like currently work, but they're not great, like tech debt is kind of a good way to describe this. That is almost by definition important and not urgent because (laughs) tech debt is objectively bad. And if it still works, it's not urgent. So how do you set time aside? How do you choose to then work on that important, not urgent thing? Like some of the great examples here is the test jig that you and I built like two years ago for the motherboards. There's a YouTube video for it. There's a few. Yeah. Yeah, there's a few about them. That was a great one. And the way that I, it was all me, all my fault, the like the electrical design of things. It is super finicky. And it's, it's, it's <laughs> I shouldn't say finicky. It's, Cursed. it's fragile. Like if a single diode goes on backwards, okay, it's a 90 minute fix to the jig. Yeah. Give me the analogy about juggling you said the other day. Well, it was, it was a bad analogy, but I was like, <laughs> It's like you're trying to juggle with one eye closed and one of the balls speaks Spanish. The jig is made very complicated um, and there's much better ways to do it. So I've been like eyeing, how do I kill this jig with fire? How do I make it way more robust? How do I make a better testing system? And Gundam, the software that we use to uh, control a lot of things here, it's like a little Python desktop app that I wrote. I, I made it out of necessity in like four hours because we were like, oh, we need an extra jig at this place to check motherboards at this stage. And I just whipped it up and I just kept glomming on crap to it. And it ended up being this big mess. And actually, over the past like two days, I've been refactoring the whole thing. And it's so easy to add tests now. So choosing when to have time for that, it's hard. You need everything else needs to kind of be calm and be like, you know what? I can get away with doing an important and not urgent thing right now because like things are moving along. OK, let me spend the time. Yeah, I heard a great maintenance engineer talk about this once. He was like, if you don't maintain things, they choose when you will. <laughs> I love that. That's so good. Yeah, if you don't do your upkeep, it decides when you're fixing it. Right. Honestly, it's I kind of consider it an insurance policy because if that jig is nuked in a way that I cannot fix it, Lumen production stops. Yeah. And that's not acceptable. We, we can't have that. So I have a lot of I actually have a lot of things in place like replacement controller boards for it that, you know, I could get it back up and running in a day. No problem. But I really want to make sure that we don't have one of those things happen. I want to buy that insurance policy. For sure. And like if it feels like a risky thing, it's holding a gun to our head. It's like do everything you can to like disarm the situation, make it feel more under control. Yep. De-risk. Yep. Just try and de-risk it. So refactoring Gundam, uh, you know, th- one of the one of the texts on the line is like, "Hey, Gundam's doing this weird thing," and I'm like, "Oh, yeah, that's because 
I put this object contains this variable and it doesn't pass <laughs> through when I have this subtest pull this, you know, information like it's I just needed to redo it. And now it's just going to be smoother and it, it just makes everything run better. Yeah, I should say, though, here, that's hindsight speaking for a lot of that. True. I think we built the perfect thing at the perfect time. Yeah. And you wouldn't have changed much about it. Like getting that barfed out as quick as you did was imperative. Like we didn't really have time for you to code it elegantly the first time around. Totally. So like it's okay to not make something you're perfectly happy with if it means like people are unblocked or you're unblocked or the project can continue. Exactly. Like, yeah. Especially if it's something that if is the output still the same? Like does it still make does it still test boards accurately? Like does it uh, technically accomplish what it's supposed to do? And it did. It did it beautifully and has for many hundreds of boards. Yeah. Like as long as that happens, you can go back and refactor later. It's very dangerous to do that because if you don't allocate that time to fix the thing, uh, well, yeah. I'm trying to think, I'm trying to avoid a too convoluted analogy. It's like, but you don't want to build on a, a stack of cards. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to build too much on a stack of cards. If you need a stack of cards real quick, if you need something to hold, hold up at least a little bit, fine. <laughs> Whatever you have on hand, get the thing done. MVP, great. And then when you have a second to breathe and you can and you will you know that you will choose to spend the time to fix it, then you go through and refactor it, you know, oh, yeah. and you might have to fight for it. And it's, it's hard to justify time refactoring code that does not add a feature. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, if you if you can convince yourself to do it, it's it helps. It helps a lot. But that's a really hard one. That one definitely takes a lot of effort. Like, ah, is it time to kill this jig? And like, it scares me, but it still kind of works. It still definitely works. It's just, I'm worried it's going to nuke. Yeah, for me, the closest equivalent is our assembly docs are for an older version of the thing, but everyone on staff is trained on how to do it the new way. It's like, well, what if one of them needs to go on medical leave? Or what if we need a new guy? We hire someone, yeah. And we got to do it. <laughs> but but it's really hard when there's not something going, hey, Lucian, you got to do this update. It's like, well, you know. Yeah. It depends. It depends on what it is and how yeah. important it is to do it. If everyone's trained on the production process, updating the docs is for no one. Yeah, but it's still important. Yes. And and like it's also the consideration of what's the worst case scenario that can happen? Okay, we have we have we hire someone new. Okay, you'll have a few days of notice at least. Yeah. <laughs> that's the time to take a few new pictures, update the docs, prep for it. That that's what we did for the whole SMT process like 2 hires ago. I redid the entire SMT line docs page to just set them up with a really really good set of instructions. And that it helped a lot. Probably halved the onboarding period for the guy. Oh, true. Yeah, it, it probably did. Three, uh, probably three months or uh, what would have been three months of probably five hour a week supervision. He was on his own independent within six weeks. Yeah, yeah. It was pretty fast because there's a lot. There's all the testing jigs and all that stuff and it's all documented now. So that's a tough one, but one that you definitely have to manage. Um, and it, it, I think it's also important to say, it, like you said before, it's it's okay to do something more bespoke to start and then worry about the scaling stuff later. Like. Get the thing out, make sure it's good, do the checks, but it doesn't matter if it's a little messy, getting the thing out the door in how you do it first. You can always improve it later. Yeah. I think about the print farm there too. I have all these printers. I need all these parts. I didn't have a perfect print part tracker. Yeah. I just need these printers making things. Right. As long as, as we say it's on the production team too, like as long as they're doing productive things, it's generally okay. Yeah. They could be doing more precise, more tactical, more appropriate things, but as long as that ball is moving. That's huge. Especially with the fact that we have way more print production capacity than we <laughs> actually need. That helps so much. Like we solve the problem by having more printers than we need. <laughs> yeah. And that kind of makes it so we don't have to be as effective with our planning, which is fine. <laughs> it's a way to do it. <laughs> if you feel good on that one, this blends really well into a uh, production team balancing. Yes, totally. So this is the open hardware manufacturing podcast. So like 
you probably have a production team mm-hmm. if you're making open hardware. Or it's just your own time doing production. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it is a not intuitive thing at times to decide who does what and when. Yep. And what is made and when. Yeah. It's a constant balancing act. There are master's degrees you can get on this type of stuff. There's <laughs> software companies that will take as much money as you want to spend on it. Yep. It's about finding something that kind of works for you. And yeah. it's probably more similar to Steven's notion board than my Kanban. It's find something that works and evolve it for years. Right. Because the way that you do things is going to be different than how any other production company, especially if you're at this weird mid-scale, you're building most stuff in-house. Things are strange. It's not like it's like a <laughs> typical production line that iPhones get made at where it's like very obvious exactly what the flow rate is. Like we're making changes all the time. You know, different jigs are coming and going at a smaller scale. It's more up in the air. It's less like, obviously, this is the approach. Yeah, and it's every constantly evolving for us. Yeah. But for what it looks like, we have a gentleman on SMT production about 40 hours a week. Mm-hmm. So he's flexed out when there's other things going on. Yeah. We have someone building lumens around 35 hours a week who maintains the farm otherwise. And mm-hmm. we have usually someone making feeders full time and helping out with the other miscellaneous parts in the, in the order queue. Yep. But deciding how many feeders are made, what size feeders are made. Yeah. When should this batch be done by? When are these, how many lumens should be made and how long should that production batch be is really what I'm getting at here. Right. And it's a constant balancing act between inventory on hand, being aware of any stockouts, being aware of our order volume. Yeah. What our promised lead time was for customers. It's mm. like a. It's a huge thing. It's a very multivariable equation. Yeah. I just lay out the facts in front of me and I try to fill out a calendar of people's time. Yep. That's yep. the best I can really say to do right now. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah, we talked to Chris at CNC about what uh, he does, and he said there's two teams, one that does the continued preparement of sub-assemblies, and then the other team does the packing of orders. Right. It's a little bit different than us. Yeah, because we're kind of all the same. And packing is now part of our QC. So like, we put it into a tray of packaging when it's been fully QC'd. It all kind of happens by the same team. Yeah. So we don't really have that delineation as much, but it's interesting to see how they do it differently and like how their product differentiation is from ours and like all that kind of stuff. It's weird. Yeah, this is a topic where I don't really have great actionable advice. I wanted to put it out there like this is a very tricky thing. Yeah, if, if anyone has experience with figuring out how to manage this well, let us know in the own podcast channel in the Lumen PMP Discord server because I think we're, we're kind of like any thoughts on like how to manage time and when orders come in and the lead times and all the subsequent parts that come from it. Like I know that there's whole ERP systems that will do this that cost, you know, $2,000 a month. <laughs> but, you know, a- any feedback on like how people operate like this, it's so interesting to see how different people do it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And what we have now works really well. It like, does. We know what we're, the team needs to do for about like three weeks at a time. Yep. And when the lead, the short lead time items come up in the order queue, like that can affect that third week of scheduled tasks. But yep. mm-hmm. generally we have high confidence in what they're doing this week and next. Yep. And I can say that pretty much always. Yeah. And th- there's also the part of it like Mendel where we make all our PCBs. Mendel comes first. Like you can't build a feeder until you have a, a tested assembled program feeder PCB. Yeah. You need that first. You can start building some lumens without parts, but once you're doing the staging plate, well, you need the motherboard on there. You need the bottom ring light. You need to do slots. Well, that whole PCB needs to be assembled through hole soldered, tested, programmed. Yeah. And then it can be put into a lumen. So like, what's the, the order of operations on what things are blocking for other subassemblies? Oh, completely. Our, our gold standard for SMT is that it's a week or two ahead yeah. of what the other assembly processes are currently doing. Yeah. So we just never have to worry about it. We always have one week of buffer 
that the production, the actual assembly happens with last week's production of PCBs. Yeah. And that is kind of a, it's kind of like a Hail Mary, not thinking too hard about it, but it just works beautifully kind of solution. Yeah. And it's, it's great. As long as the gentleman in SMT can keep the machines building boards and mm-hmm. QC them at the rate that's ahead of two weeks. Yeah. We can flex them out to do other stuff yep. and let them get exposure to doing other things in the line. Yep. It's similar to the print farm can spend some time making production jigs, fixtures, cosplay props, as long as there's 30 plus days worth of components on hand. Yep. Yep. Totally. Like, it's just sitting there. Might as well use it for something. Yeah. Yep. So it's, this is a whole topic probably worth diving into with some friends on board. Yeah. But yeah. production planning is an art. It's really easy if you have a CM. They tell you when they're doing it. But. <laughs> That's true. That's a really good point. But when you're the CM... You're the one telling me, how are we doing it? Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's tough. It takes me probably north of five hours a week just figuring out who should do what across the next couple of weeks. Right. And like, I might need to make adjustments. I just try not to let it divert people from the course they thought they were on. Right. I I want people to have a smooth experience. It does not look good on my part if an assembler is told to do something different in the middle of a task. Right. Drop your tools and change course. Do something else. I look unprepared. Yeah. It's drawing for them. It's not good for Opula. It's wasting time. Yep. yep. Avoiding that's like critical here. Yep. Huge. And our squad is so rolls with the punches. Like they're (laughs) so good, especially like when we were still figuring out how to do all this structure, things have gotten so much more like consistent, but yeah, generally we give them a game plan and we roll with that. And sometimes there's a tweak here and there, but you know, for the most part, you know, they know what, what needs to be built. You know, yeah. we, we found a, a we've settled into a system and a structure, but it's always up in there. It'd be really cool to be like, oh, cool. We got X number of orders. You know, we, we want to get ahead by this amount to bring the lead time down. This is what needs to be made. This is the most optimal way to do it. But like it's a so many dimensional problem. It's like computationally impossible, not impossible, but like it's incredibly hard to solve that problem with that many variables unknown yeah i'll depict the first half of the considerations um because it's something i'm proud of and it i can speak to succinctly mm. we run shopify yeah and we have a connector that sends every order from shopify to a google sheet mm. and then i do a bunch of tabs on that data but there's one tab where every single SKU, um stock keeping unit or product we sell is paired with a database of lead times yeah as well not only lead times but also assembly times Mm -hmm. so i have the due dates for all these uh items that are ordered yeah i bucket them into weeks so i have like an automatic pivot table that takes all the things that are due friday the 24th and in that table it's the list of all of the orders and their order number yeah and then i also summarize all of the the production time that takes that is needed to make those parts sure so i'll look and see like how many human labor hours are needed to make the stuff this week how many are needed to make the stuff for next week and the week thereafter and i I just look to see that like, we have three people. I can get 120 hours out of this week yep. before overtime. Right. And like that's the that's the core kernel of it. Just making sure that I'm using everyone as best I can. Sure. Their time is spent the most effectively on what we need to. Yeah. It's a weird problem. Yeah. It would be interesting to do a whole episode about this uh, because it sounds like there's a lot lot more that you could talk about to this and like talking about how you do that layout would be good yeah and i'd be fascinated by like someone who has production management experience at like boeing what does the guy in charge of the 737 do right (laughs) yeah we should totally do an episode on that that would be that would be awesome yeah boeing's not mid-scale or open but their manufacturing processes are probably very streamlined sure (laughs) and it could be useful for people that do the kind of thing that we're doing yeah so if someone out there wants to do an interview with us and they make something cool let us know yeah we'd love to hear how you do it for sure so that's 
that's my piece on production team, like labor balancing and labor allocation. Yep. More to say. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So those are kind of like the big, broad overview, I think, ways that we think about managing our time and what's important to work on. But it also changes a lot based on where you are in your process of I mean, assuming that you're shipping an open hardware product and like you're doing <laughs> the same thing that we are. But wherever you are in that process, you're going to need to do certain things. Certain things will be more important than others. So like the first phase is launching your thing. The most important thing is testing and validation that like, does it do the thing? Because nothing matters if you don't make a thing that does the thing. Did you make the thing people wanted? Exactly. Well, <laughs> yes. But weirdly, that's a second thing. Uh. So the first thing is, do people give a crap about what you're making? You know, do people want this thing? And a good way to do that is a lot of marketing. So like arguably some of that marketing comes first. Like we did this with YouTube where I made a lot of loud videos about like, hey, this is what I'm doing. Check it out. And like I was super vocal about it and it built a huge community around that. And that was really good early on to like get people on board with the design and like get their feedback on that and also get like affirmation of like that they want it. Right. That there's some product market fit, that there's interest in this thing. That That's a big part of it. So like when I was first making those videos, I was kind of like, OK, it seems like people want it. Now it's time to invest some time in making it fulfill what it should. So then that came second is like making it actually do the thing and then being so aware of builder feedback. If someone's like, hey, this part was annoying to build this way. That is such a beautiful little (laughs) gem they've just given you. Use that. Like it's all about the design early on and community engagement, heavy community engagement that those should be at the very top of that Maslow's hierarchy of priorities (laughs) priorities <laughs> yeah. for the organization in like pre-launch. That's why the, the BYOP kit, the do-it-yourself Lumen kit was so awesome. Mm-hmm. Because it engaged very well with the community. It gave us immediate feedback. It even told us about like why a Lumen might be hard to build later on when we sell them assembled. Right. Yeah. Huge, huge amount of feedback. And like that first round of like dozens of customer interviews that I did have informed the direction of the company for the following 18 months, you know? For sure. So yeah, that was huge. There's also, you have to do all the boring company stuff. like. Setting up an organization, raising money, making a bank account, an accountant, a lawyer, all that kind of stuff. You have to do that, too, when you're starting off. Pretty inevitable. <laughs> yeah, it's, and it, it, that's going to take priority early on as well. But th- those are kind of the things that are most important launching, like validating people want it, hearing people's feedback on early versions, and making it work well. Mm-hmm. Like Those are some of the most important. In marketing, like getting the people on board in the community. Those are huge. Uh, and then after launch, there's... Arguably, I think there's only one thing you need to do, and that is actively listen as hard as humanly possible (laughs) and like be so aware of your community, be so engaged with your initial customers and interview the heck out of them, hear what they're saying about the thing and don't plan your time. Don't don't assume you're going to have any time to do anything. Just be ready, because if there's something that they're like, hey, this could be better. You should be able to drop everything and fix that as soon as possible, like right after launch. That's my take. How did that bullet point make it in? Because that's like flies in the face of your structure, your planning, like for you personally. <laughs> like what, what made you realize that's the case? Because it's so like, yeah, I do have a lot of structure and planning, but I don't want to do it at the detriment of being able to react when things come up. Sure. So I intentionally structure not planning to do anything. For a good long amount. Of, and I have things that like if there's if there's no problems and there's no no issue. Yeah, I'll be working on other things. But I'm choosing to expect if someone's like, hey, this was really misleading in the docs or like this part didn't fit or whatever. Everything should be able to be dropped to immediately alleviate that. That should be the first thing you do. So I think right after launch, just being so listening 
there's a great uh, documentary series by the No Clip uh, YouTube channel. It's called Developing Hell, and it's about how Supergiant Games made the game Hades. I watch this so often. I love this documentary series. And they released Hades in early access. So the game was like a third of the way done and really buggy. And they, I don't even think it was that buggy, but they launched it to a bunch of people. And all they did for like two months after they released that first version was just patch, just patch the heck out of the game. That's what you should be doing. You should be listening to people and just inhaling their feedback. That is the most important thing to do. And let other things languish for a while. You should be actively listening to this glorious feedback as it comes in. And because Supergiant did that, they won game of the year. Yeah, yeah. And it's, if you haven't played Hades, I don't play video games. I love Hades. I was playing that last night. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I played it like two days ago. It's such a good game. And, and it's really interesting. I actually really like this documentary, just seeing like how they structure a small business building a thing that people love. It's such a good documentary. So I, I think that's really important. Just really don't plan a lot of stuff. Improve the experience like crazy. Talk to people in your community actively. Be And you should always be doing this, but this should kind of be the only thing you're doing right after a launch, in yeah. my opinion. You Reminds know? me, again, of Ryan. Like He makes time to be in the forums with his community for a couple hours a day. Yeah, yeah, all the time. Yeah, don't lose touch with that. Yep. And then when things get more stable product-wise, that's when you can start working on stuff like marketing and sales and like customer education and making a video with use cases and like, look, this is how we used it to make glow ties, which is what I'm working on now. And like, here's content to like understand things better and like not the pressing like, Hey, we need to patch this, but the just bringing in more sales, scaling up, killing tech debt. That's kind of when things are a little bit more stable. Still listening to feedback. If there's stuff that people are like, hey, this isn't working well, you should always be listening to that. But you can kind of free yourself up to work on some other stuff too when the product gets a little bit more stable. Yeah, things hopefully are a little bit less urgent, but still important. Yes. Per the Eisenhower matrix. Exactly. Yep. Yep. And if something comes up that's important and urgent, you should kind of always be ready to just Work on that. Mm-hmm. You know, as if you're getting a signal like, hey, there's something that is important and it's urgent. And I got to fix this. At a company that is small, you should be able to just pivot hard. I don't, the word pivot's kind of whatever, but, you know, just take a right turn and just, <laughs> uh, I'm going to go this direction now and just work on this instead. And I didn't think I was going to. Oh, kind of like a pivot. Um, yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> not not in like the company pivot way, but you know what I mean. Like <laughs> yeah, no, I, today I thought I was going to do X and nope, just kidding. I'm doing Y today because that it turns out to be more important. Like, don't feel bad about that. No, the, no. The product decided what you're doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. If that's going to be what helps accomplish the mission of the organization the best, in our case, it's helping people manufacture their products. That's what we should do. That's what you should work on. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. But uh, I hope y'all appreciate hearing our thoughts and considerations and on the topic of time management. Yeah. If if any of y'all have any thoughts about how you do it differently than we do or how you structure these things, we would love to hear your methodology because we're always kind of trying to figure out a better way to do things. And it would be interesting to hear how other folks kind of manage this stuff. Like we were talking with Ryan from V1 and he was like, well, it's pretty easy. I just put everything on a post-it note, put it on my whiteboard <laughs> and there we go. That's 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 how I structure it. And like, Great. That works awesome for him. Heck yeah. Yeah, happy for him. Yeah. Wish it was that simple here. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, we wish so too. But yeah. So yeah, it's it's a tough one. It is just, this is a really hard thing to manage. There's no one telling you, hey, this is what you should be working on. Like you have to decide that thing. <laughs> yeah. And a bigger company, this is called a project manager. And there's a person per team that thinks about time management and reporting yeah. it upwards. Or product manager. I mean, yeah. Well, I, I always mix up the two, but yeah. Yeah. You can make a career out of doing this for places <laughs> yeah yeah but you have to do that and be an individual contributor and uh, you know i mean kind of just those two it's a know. lot of hats it's it's hats yep but 
you know, y- you start to figure it out after a while. For sure. I think we're in a good groove. Yeah, I think we're in a good groove. And, you know, we, we always have better better ways to optimize things. But, you know, we found what works for this system pretty well, I think, so far. And I would say, too, like, we haven't overdone it. No, like, I don't we, think so. We don't have people log what they did per 15-minute increment. Where it's not. No. It's, it's pragmatic. It's doing what is necessary to be able to track it well, but not more than that. You know? Exactly. We're not overdoing it. No. And it's important to avoid that. Yeah. Like you don't want a full fledged ERP if you're one person. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like that's a bit cart before the horse. Yeah. Maybe even a sauna or an ocean might be overkill if it's just you. It depends on your personality and how you organize stuff. Totally. Yeah. I think it's super valid that like if you and if you're really good at keeping stuff in your head, maybe you don't need it. You know, like maybe Notion is a crutch for me because I'm bad at keeping remembering <laughs> I things so. I have to do. I mean, my to do list has, as of my last count, like 560 items on it. My God, <laughs> like it's a lot of things. And some of them are like I have a whole column called Blue Sky. And mm-hmm. it's like this would be a really cool thing to work on at some point. But I don't want to forget it. So it's a way for me to kind of like keep track of what I'm thinking about. But, you know, it just it depends. So much of it is just it depends. Yeah, but that comes up a lot here. It does come up a lot. All right, folks, that is it for this one. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to leave a review wherever you get your podcast. It helps us out a ton. You can find Opulo on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Don't forget to check out opulo.io and sign up for our newsletter where we write blog posts and do customer interviews with other folks building open hardware. And we'll see you guys in the next one. See ya. Right. Just like cut to Mitchell doing it at one point. <laughs> Yo, yeah, Mitchell, we should have you do the outro. That would be cool. You're like, all right, Steven and Lucian lost their voices by the end of this, so I'm going to do the outro. <laughs> <laughs>